week by week from the pick of new material, from the pages of best-selling novels, from the theater of Broadway and London, and the sound stages of Hollywood, will parade the most remarkable figures ever known. CBS gives you suspense. The two-fisted, quick-triggered marksman who shoots from the hip and never misses. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to another presentation of Suspense for its 75th anniversary this summer. We have three episodes for you tonight. One from 60 years ago, one from 70 years ago, and one from 55 years ago. All from this week. The first one we're going to present to you is America's Boyfriend from 1957. And it stars Mercedes McCambridge. And Mercedes McCambridge starred in a lot of radio and a lot of movies. Um, she won Best Supporting Actress for the film, for a couple films. Let me see if I can find what they were. Uh, she won in 1949 the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for All the King's Men and she won a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actress for the same film and then when she was in Giant she was nominated for Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress and of course Giant is the film with I'm not sure if it's the last film or not but it's with uh, James Dean and it also starred Rock Hudson, I believe. She was also in A Farewell to Arms, and she was in a lot of television, various shows, Wagon Train, Gunsmoke, that sort of thing, lots of westerns. She's probably uh, best known for the quote that Orson Welles said about her, and that quote was that she was the world's greatest living radio actress at the time, I suppose, when he said it. I'm not sure exactly when he did say it. She, um, unfortunately passed away in 2004, and that was just a few years before I started doing the podcast. I always wished that I could have interviewed her, but I did not have a chance to do that. The other person in the show was Richard Crenna, and Richard Crenna is famous for being Walter Denton, on Armis Brooks, and he played that both in radio and in television. He was also on The Real McCoys as Luke McCoy. He's probably best known to modern audiences for being in Rambo, a series of films. He was Colonel Troutman in all of those films. And hopefully you're going to enjoy his performance along with Mercedes' performance in this episode of Suspense. And I think it's neat that it's called America's Boyfriend because he kind of was America's Boyfriend at that time or the America's Goofy Neighbor, whichever you want to think about. Uh, from 1962, uh, our last show is going to be The Next Murder. And The Next Murder, I don't want to tell you much about it. It's just interesting to, to but the premise is interesting. So you'll just have to see when you get to that. And the middle show that we have for you tonight is from 1947 and that is Murder by Expert 
and it's an all-star cast with Lynn Berry, Hans Conried, Jerry Hausner, Wally Marr, Sidney Miller, and Jack Webb of Dragnet fame. So I think you're going to enjoy that one as well. All three shows should be really good tonight. I hope you enjoy them all and keep joining us for more episodes of Suspense on Saturdays. It's 2017, and I hope you're having a great summer. See you next time. Suspense. And the producer of radio's outstanding theater of thrills, the master of mystery and adventure, William N. Robeson. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, what is the rest of it? Well, no matter, childish prattle can be dangerous in its pristine innocence. So if you are about to do something you shouldn't, we advise you not to do it around your moppets. They can be such blabbermouths, as the upcoming story demonstrates. Listen. Listen, then, as Miss Mercedes McCambridge stars in America's Boyfriend, which begins in exactly one minute. Folklore isn't always something out of the past. Each day, a new legend, anecdote, joke, or colorful character is added to our collection of Americana. Like the story about the man who was nailing shingles on his house. Somebody noticed that he was throwing half the nails away and asked him why. Because, he said, the heads are on the wrong ends on those. Well, you dope, said the other man. Those are for the other side of the house. <laughs> Folklore belongs to every nation's legendary past, and I guess we Americans have our share of some tall ones. Like the one about... Haha, <laughs> but we'll have to save that one for the next time we travel your way. See you then. And now... Miss Mercedes McCambridge in America's Boyfriend. A tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. They used to call him America's Boyfriend. His face was known everywhere, from South Dakota to Saudi Arabia. Those mischievous eyes, that lovable teenage grin, the lock of blonde hair over his forehead. Remember First Love, his most popular movie... His freckled face was on billboards everywhere in four colors. Dickie Keith, that bad boy who steals your heart. That bouncing, laughing, wisecracking, all-American boy. It's funny. Every picture of Dickie that could be found was like that one. The police are looking for a murderer's face that doesn't exist. When he came into the kitchen that morning, I didn't know whether to laugh or feel sorry for him. I was too busy to do either. I had to fix breakfast, get the kids washed and dressed and fed and be at work by nine. Between putting the coffee on the perk and getting the bobby pins out of my hair, I kept glancing at his calypso pants and monogram t-shirt and the tennis racket under his arm. Maybe I said the wrong things. I guess I've been saying the wrong things for a long time. Coffee ready yet? What are you dressed up as? Juvenile delinquent? Oh, I got a call from the studio yesterday. I told you, Harry Landon wants to see me. What's he got, amnesia? Did he forget the last picture you made was so bad it smelled up the theaters before it was taken out of the can? Just black for me. You know, maybe if you grow up, you might get a job again. Oh, well, I see Harry today. He just bought The Sidewalk to Nowhere. Terrific book about a teenage murderer. I'll convince him I'm not too old for the lead. <laughs> How old does he think I am, anyway? Oh, please, Dickie. He's got your social security card. All right, all right. So I'm 31. 33. 
Time certainly flies. Doesn't it? Married to me four years already, parents of a bright two-year-old boy. And if you'd like any more vital statistics, you've been out of work for more than three years. This coffee tastes like formaldehyde. Well, it's the best we can afford. What time's your appointment? Don't worry. I'll leave Lumpy with Mrs. Vogel for a few hours. Well, be sure you wait for the laundry man first. Okay. Okay, you support me. You pay the bills. If you like, I'll do the laundry myself. I'm sorry, Dickie. <laughs> I'm all tied up in knots. That last check that I gave the supermarket bounced. Our credit is down the drain. Is that all? No, and Lumpy, I know he's a lot of trouble for you to take care of. No trouble. No, the park's peppered with kids his age. What do you do there? Just sit around the sand pile? Hmm? Yeah. With the other doting mothers. Are you learning anything about child psychology? Why? Oh, just that Lumpy's almost two years old. Have you noticed he's learning to talk? No, he's been talking since he was 11 months, that one. Well, those were just sounds, just separate words. I mean, he's just put together his first sentence. And high time. His first real sentence. <laughs> Funny the way he keeps repeating it. Well, maybe you're right at that. Maybe I ought to wear something more uh, dignified. Get Lumpy ready while I change. Come on, Lumpy. You can't dawdle over your breakfast this morning. Now, if you want to go with Daddy. Da Daddy? Go see Pretty Lady. Go see Pretty Lady. Who is she, Lumpy? Go, go see Pretty Lady. The first time he said it was a week ago. It hit me right between the eyes. His first sentence... Something to cherish to put in his scrapbook with his first tooth and a curl from his first haircut. His first sentence, Go see pretty lady. It burned in my mind all day long, but it burned deeper that night when Mrs. Vogel delivered Lumpy herself. Dickie hadn't picked him up as he was supposed to. After I got Lumpy to bed, I canvassed the neighborhood bars by phone. Nothing. Then I just sat and waited, my insides gnawed by fear and anxiety and plain old-fashioned jealousy. Then about 10 o'clock, the front door opened, and there he was. He swayed in the doorway. There was blood drying on his face. His eyes looked stupid and beaten. The only reason he was able to stay on his feet was the hand steadying him from behind, the big, powerful hand of Harry Landman. Dickie took one step inside, and then he pitched forward... The table crashed to the floor with him. I'm sorry, Jean. Oh, Harry, what happened? Came to my house a couple hours ago. Lucky I wasn't alone. Should have heard of the things he called me. I wouldn't let my own mother-in-law talk to me that way. Oh, but he didn't mean it, Harry. He must have been drinking. Yeah, that's what I thought till he grabbed the poker from the fireplace and tried to kill me. Me, who feels like a father to the boy. He tried to kill you? Me and my house man had to beat him right down into his shoes before he quit trying. Oh, he must have been drunk. Oh, he's out of his head. Could put him away for ten years for this. Harry, what did you tell him at the studio this morning? The truth. Once and for all, that he's washed up. Now, if you're smart, you'll get him out of this town. Take him back east where he can be himself. Himself? Where he can grow up. Where he can get a job without his pride getting all mixed up in it. Here in Hollywood, he can't stop being America's boyfriend. He, he's turning into a full-fledged schizophrenic, a homicidal maniac. You're afraid of him. 
Oh, Dickie. I'm telling you, he's dangerous. He tried to kill me. That's really funny. You're afraid of this thing you created, this lovable tap-dancing monster, this horrible spirit of you. You're blaming me? For years you kept him a teenager. You didn't let him grow up. You made this stunted thing out of him because there was money in it. He made plenty of money himself, And he spent he? it faster than he made it. Oh, he lived the part all right. It was cute how irresponsible he was. Look, Gene, I'm not arguing with you. I'm telling you. Get him out of my hair. Take him back east, anywhere. But do it inside of 24 hours. Or oh, I'm what? Gonna... Well, I'll, I'll bring charges against him for assault with intent to kill. You're forgetting something, Harry. I'm only his wife. I don't have much influence with him. 24 hours. He's got other attachments in Hollywood besides his family. Another woman? Yeah. Who? I don't know. I heard about her from... somebody. <laughs> somebody who won't talk. Well, that's a problem I can't help you with, Gene. That's strictly your problem. Just remember, 24 hours or I'll charge him with attempted murder. I tried to help Dickie up, but he pushed me off. He made his way to the bedroom like a bulldozer, knocking over a lamp, a chair, anything in his way. He sprawled face down on the bed, and for a long time I could hear his heavy breathing... I don't know what time it was when I fell asleep on the sofa, but in the morning, a little before seven, I looked in. He was gone. I left Lumpy with Mrs. Vogel, but I didn't go to work. I tried a dozen bars, three Turkish baths, every alleged friend he had. By noon, there was still no trace of him, so I went back to Charlie's and sat down at the end of the bar... Charlie shuffled toward me, his eyes refusing to meet mine. Uh, Mrs. Keith, I'm sorry. You're wasting your time here. Listen, I've got to find Dickie. It's terribly important, Charlie. He, he, he couldn't just disappear into thin air. Uh, the air in this town ain't as thin as you think. Well, if you try, maybe you can remember something. Somebody he's been in here with. Oh, Charlie, please tell me. Tell me who that woman is. Uh, you mean that the dame he was with last night? Last night? He came back here last night? Yeah, around two in the morning. It was just sitting together right here. That's all I know. What did she look like, Charlie? Could, 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 could you describe her? Well, to me, Mrs. Keith, the dames that come in here all look as much alike as a row of bar stools. <laughs> was she tall or short? Kind of in between. Well, was she a blonde or redhead or brunette? What? I don't remember. Well, she had hair, didn't she? Oh, yeah. Yeah. She had dark hair. Well, thanks, Charlie. That's something, anyhow. At least I know she has hair. She isn't a midget. At five o'clock, I gave up. There was only one thing to do. See Harry Landman and explain that Dickie disappeared and that there was really nothing to worry about. Harry lived up above the strip. I climbed a steep incline, made a sharp turn that almost broke my steering gear, and there it was. A low pink house sitting back against the hillside. There was an ugly iron dog beside the front door. I went to the door and I pushed the bell. And somehow I knew that the man who answered the door didn't belong in that house. Yes? I'm Mrs. Keith. I must see Mr. Landman right away. You want to see Mr. I didn't wait. I brushed right past him into a dim hall and I stopped dead. Whatever it was that had been holding me together all day snapped. I closed my eyes to shut myself in darkness, but the thing I saw was still there, as if painted on the inside of my eyelids. It was Harry Landman, face down on the floor, with a knife sticking out of his back. 
just a moment, we continue with Suspense. Do you know the Social Security benefits to which you will be entitled when you separate from the service and take a civilian job? Here's a tip from Social Security. 1940, an important year in the security of American families. It was in 1940 that the first Social Security checks began to find their way into the mailboxes of the nation. That was the year that retired people and their families and the families of working people who had died began to get payments from the government insurance program to partly take the place of earnings that were no longer coming into their homes. Social Security has done much through the years to relieve the grinding worry of old people, to keep widows and their children together living as families beneath the family roof. Just recently, within the last five years, Social Security has helped to relieve the financial plight of the disabled. Find out about Social Security, what you can expect from it for your security and the security of your loved ones. Write to Social Security, Department 15, Hollywood 28, California, and ask how it will work in your case. They'll be glad to give you the information and to send you a free booklet, a booklet that tells the Social Security story. And now... We continue with the second act of America's Boyfriend, starring Miss Mercedes McCambridge. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. It was a beautiful knife. It had a carved pearl handle about four inches long. It seemed to grow bigger as I stared at it until it crowded everything else out of my mind, until it floated there, huge, in my nightmare. Then a small gray-haired man touched my elbow, and the knife got smaller like a punctured balloon, and I knew it wasn't a nightmare. It was a knife sticking out of Harry Landman's back. I'd never seen a corpse before, not even a dead grandmother. I thought I was going to be sick. I was helped gently into a chair, the room was hot and stuffy with cigarette smoke. Three other men were busy there, working as calmly and thoroughly over details as bookkeepers in an office. We've been looking for you, Mrs. Keith. For me? My name is Carlson, homicide. Actually, we're looking for your husband. We thought you might be able to tell us something. Oh, he didn't do it. Any idea where he is? Well, he couldn't commit murder. He couldn't. He's not the kind who could do a terrible thing like that. Look, after 20 years' experience, Mrs. Keith... I know what kind of people commit murders. What kind? Murderers. Oh, but you're wrong about Dickie. You don't know Dickie Keith the way I do. I know quite a few things already. I know that he threatened to kill Mr. Landman. I know he even attempted to. But he didn't mean it. It looks like he did. Oh, you don't understand. He was out of work. He was trying to cope with all the responsibilities of a family. He was always trying to cover up for a feeling of insecurity. If you don't mind, let's leave Freud out of this, huh? I'm no psychiatrist. I'm a cop. My job is to put together the facts. There's more than facts. There's the truth. The truth is he's disappeared. Now, why? Well, maybe... Maybe to look for a job. He wasn't looking for a job early this morning. Early this morning? When Harry Landman was killed. Well, there's a... Uh, there is somebody who knows where Dickie was then. Well, who's that? It's a woman. And you've got to find her. What's her name? I, d I don't know. Can you give us any information about her? Description? She has dark hair and she's medium height. Well, go on. That's all I know. 
Mrs. Keith, that description fits about half the women in this town. Yes, but there, there must be some way that you could trace her. Don't count on it, Mrs. Keith. That knife's been identified by Mr. Landman's secretary. Well, you recognize it, don't you? Landman brought it back from Hawaii a few years ago, gave it to your husband for his birthday. Listen, I know how she can be traced. I know how she can be traced. Mm -hmm. That woman who can prove that Dickie's innocent. Mrs. Keith. No, there's somebody who has seen her, who knows her. And if Lumpy sees her again, he'll recognize Okay, it. okay. Just tell me who Lumpy is and I'll go have a talk with him. No, you can't. Why not? Because he can't talk. I mean, he's a two-year-old. It's my child. Oh, no. Look, Mrs. No, Keith. No, you've got to listen to me. Since I got a job, Dickie's been taking care of him. Well, don't you see, he, he was meeting her somewhere, but he had Lumpy along. And she made quite an impression. The pretty lady, that's what Lumpy calls her. His first sentence, he's just learning to talk, and that's the first time he put a kind of sentence together. Go see pretty lady, that's what he says whenever he knows that Dickie's taking him out. Well, if he sees the pretty lady again, he can identify her. Don't you see, we could take Lumpy to the park where Dickie took him every single morning, and we could start from there. It's a chance. Maybe one in a thousand, but it's worth trying. Mrs. Keith... This beats anything I ever heard in 20 years on homicide. Every case, we get crazy information. We get tips from psychopaths, confessions from cranks. But this beats All the right. whole... All right, I'll find her myself. I will. I'll find her myself. Know where we're going, Lumpy? To see the pretty lady. With Daddy? No, 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 just us. Pretty lady. Uh-huh. Now, which way, Lumpy? W which way do we go? Go see pretty lady. For a moment, feeling the warm early morning sun and hearing the same normal voices of children in the park, I decided I was out of my mind. It was crazy to think I could find her that way, dragging Lumpy into it, using a two-year-old to track her down. And he seemed to forget all about it, attracted by the more immediate joys of the sand pile. A couple of hours went by, and then Lumpy came trotting over to me with his one sentence. Go see pretty lady. That was it. The pretty lady didn't come to the park. Lumpy and his father visited her. But where? Maybe in the neighborhood. It was worth a try. Anything was worth a try. Dickie might be a crazy mixed-up kid and a faithless husband, but one thing I knew for sure, he was not a murderer. How about this street, Lumpy? Go see pretty lady. On this street, Lumpy? This the street where pretty lady lives? I turned up cross streets, I circled blocks, I drove on until Lumpy began to get restless and lose interest. How about this street, Lumpy? <laughs> Darling, when we get to the pretty lady, do you know what we're gonna have? Chocolate ice cream and marshmallow cookies and toys. Hey, lady! Where? I slammed my foot down hey, on the brake. The way hey, Lumpy bounced off the seat, the way his eyes got wide with expectation, I knew that I was in luck. He pulled me like a puppy on hey, a leash. Lady. He pointed to a house across the street, an old house. The downstairs was used as an interior decorator studio. Hey, lady! We were just getting out of the car when I swung Lumpy around and slammed the door. The woman coming out of the house was a pretty lady, all right. A very pretty lady of medium height with dark hair. 
As soon as I left Lumpy with Mrs. Vogel, I hurried back. The sign downstairs read, Maurice Byrne, Fine Interiors. I went in. A tall man with a blunt nose came toward me. The deep, regular waves in his yellow hair must have taken plenty of time and attention. And he had an off-balance smile like a man with something stuck in his teeth. Good afternoon. Uh, I'm uh, looking for the woman who lives upstairs. I, I, I don't remember her name. Upstairs? Yes. There are three apartments upstairs. Three? One is occupied by Joe Courtney, an electrician. Uh, he threw his wife out a few months ago. I don't think she's back yet. Well, what about the other two? Well, there's Farley McLean and his wife. Is she an attractive woman? Uh, the last time I saw Mrs. McLean, she had an ugly gash running the length of her throat and up one side of her face, as if someone had slashed her with an axe. With an axe? <laughs> There are a couple of old hams who get an occasional bit part in pictures. They're always practicing makeup. Uh, don't go near them at night. No, no, the woman I'm looking for, uh, she, she has dark hair. Oh? A beautiful woman with an expensive look? You know her? Not yet. She's new here. She still ignores me, which should give you an idea of how discriminating she is. So I wonder if you could tell me her name and where I could get in touch with her right now. I'm afraid not. How do I know you're not serving a summons or maybe a bill collector? Oh, no, 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 it's nothing like that. This is something very personal, but it's terribly important. Really, I must find her for her own good, as well as for somebody else's, somebody that she can help. And if I don't find her, the police will. Her name is Alice Evans. She's a model at Maison Chic, the exclusive dressmaker. The saleswomen were a little startled when I walked past them toward the dressing room. The way my hair was blown, I looked like a neglected sheepdog. She glanced up at me from a long mirrored table where she was putting the finishing touches on her street makeup. Yes? I'm, uh... I'm Dickie's wife. Congratulations. Who is he? Oh, please, please, I, I know everything. And you're the only person who can save him. Save him from what? I know, you don't want to get mixed up in this, but... Dickie's facing a murder charge, and you've got to tell the police that he was with you when Harry Landman was killed. What is this, a gag? You've got me mixed up with a couple of other women. Please, I'm only thinking of Dickie. I don't know your husband. I never laid eyes on him. If you care anything about him... Me? Why did you pick on me? Of all the women in this town, why me? If you don't go to the police, I will, and I'll tell them everything. I tell you, I don't know your husband. I never saw him. I never spoke a word to him. I understand how you feel, you but do. You do. Then be a good girl and go away. Listen, if you don't want to get involved... Your name might be kept out of it. I'm sure that the police would cooperate. Just tell me, where were you and Dickie that night? You're raving mad. If I could find somebody else who saw him there, you won't be dragged into this at all. I'm getting out of here. No, not till you tell me what happened. Oh, dear. My head dropped. I remembered the lovely crystal bottle in her hand, and then a couple of saleswomen were helping me to my feet. I was reeking of cologne and spattered with broken glass. And Alice Evans was gone. She was obviously panic-struck, and I had to press this advantage, so I hurried back to her house. The hall was dark, and I struck a match to look at the names on the mailboxes, and then I felt the gun in my back. Why don't you leave me alone? You were with Dickie that night, and you can't help him. I don't know your husband. But you know plenty about me, don't you? You know enough to come looking for me here. Well, where else would I look? You live here. I live in a pink house in the hills with an iron dog at the front door. But that's... That's Harry Landman's... You! The door seemed closer as if it moved. 
the door from the hall to Maurice Byrne, Fine Interiors. It was crazy and desperate and clumsy the way I knocked the gun aside and got through the door. Hurry! Oh, hurry, get the police. She killed him. Don't be silly, Mrs. Keith. She's the first one the police checked and double-checked. They know she was in Las Vegas that night. Lock the door, Alice. You said there was nothing to worry about. <laughs> there isn't. Why did she come here looking for me? I'm not sure. I can't figure out what she knows. You said there wouldn't be any suspicion. You had a made-to-order fall guy, a perfect dupe. Fall guy? Dickie? You're a clever woman, Mrs. Keith. I don't know how you managed to trace Alice here, but it was clever. In a suicidal way. You, I've seen you somewhere long ago. Of course. In one of Dickie's early pictures. He came walking by here with Lumpy a few months ago. First time I saw him in years. And I know why he kept coming back. He was lonely. He needed somebody sympathetic to talk to. About how he hated Landman. How Landman had given him a dirty deal. And one day he brought in that beautiful pearl-handled knife. Here. Wanted to know if it was worth $50 if I could use it in some decorating scheme. Then you, you killed Landman. It was you. <laughs> $50. Such ingratitude. A knife that Harry Landman gave him as a birthday present. Do you know how much that knife was worth to Alice and me? 200 grand. Left by her late, unlamented husband. And who would believe Dickie? Of course, it wasn't as decorative as... Uh, Say, this silver candlestick. Oh, no. I'm sorry you traced her here. No. Sometimes the less people know, the smarter they no. are. No! 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 I saw the blood trickle down his hand and onto the candlestick. And the next thing I knew, the police were looking down at me over the edge of a dark, deep well. Only it wasn't a well, it was an elegant sofa... At Maurice Byrne, fine interiors. I'll right, take it easy, Mrs. Keith. When you feel better, I guess you and your husband can go home together. Dickie? Everything's okay, Jean. I even picked up Lumpy on the way here. Well, how did you... I mean, where... I was running away from everything. When I heard the police were looking for me, I came back. You know, funny thing, we had a man following you, Mrs. Keith, since you left Lamont's house. Thought you might lead us to your husband. Instead... Simply lady! What? Where, where, Lumpy? Oh, see, pretty lady. Where? Oh, no. No, it can't be. That's the only pretty lady Lumpy ever saw around here, Jean. That portrait on the wall? It was going to be a surprise. A painter, Burn Nose, did it from a photograph of you. Me. It was going to be a birthday present. Me. The pretty lady I was looking for. Yeah, it set me back 50 bucks. I sold that pearl-handled knife to burn to get the $50 to pay for it. Suspense. In which Miss Mercedes McCambridge starred in America's Boyfriend, written by Sidney Renthal. Listen. Listen again next week when we return with The Twist is Murder, starring Raymond Burr. Another tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. 
Supporting Miss McCambridge and America's Boyfriend were Norma Jean Nilsson, Joan Banks, Dick Crenna, Jack Crucian, Byron Kane, and Alan Reed. Suspense. Brought to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Hospitality is a gracious art. The best serve C-R-E-S-T-A B-L-A-N-C-A Cresta Blanca Cresta Blanca Yes, following a tradition of pleasing the world's most discriminating travelers, American Overseas Airlines offers its passengers Cresta Blanca California Wines. To help you distinguish your entertaining... Cresta Blanca has created a magnificent selection of wines to please every taste, to enrich every occasion. Shenley's Cresta Blanca Wine Company, Livermore, California. And now, Shenley brings you Radio's Outstanding Theater of Thrills. Suspense! Presented by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A. Roma Wines, for your everyday enjoyment. Tonight, Roma Wines of Fresno, California, bring you Miss Lynn Barry... In Murder by an Expert, a suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Shenley by William Spear. I didn't want to hurt him. I didn't want to hurt him, but I couldn't do it while he lay there sleeping so peacefully. 
He had to be awake when it happened. He had to be awake. Bob? Bob? Hmm? Bob, get up. Get up. What's the matter? I haven't... We... Well, we have an audition. What time is it? 20 minutes to 11. An audition in the middle of the night? There's a club over on 8th Street needs a dance team. Tabor just phoned me. Said to get over there right away. I didn't hear any phone. You were asleep. Usually wakes me. All right, all right. I'll get dressed. I suppose they want us to go on tonight. We're not going to be much good. I think it could wait till morning. That was step number one. While he was dressing, I stepped out to the payphone in the hall. I could hear him in the bathroom. I looked at the watch. I didn't have to rush. I had time, enough time. Yes? Hello, Jimmy? Was that you, Edith? Yes. Jimmy. Jimmy, we're battling again. I think this time it's the end. He's going to leave me. No, no, that's silly. Is he there now? Yes. Well, put him on. I'll talk to him. I... Oh, he's in the bathroom. He, he wouldn't come to the phone for me anyway. Perhaps it's best we split up. I don't know. No, no. Well, you're the best thing that ever happened to that kid brother of mine, and I won't let him do anything you'll be sorry for. I suppose I drop up there now and see him. I don't know, Jimmy. I... I'll be right over, kid. You just sit tight. Leave it to me. I've been managing that spoiled little brat for years. I'll be right up there. Yes, Jimmy. Step number two. The big brother was going to step over and straighten everything out. I looked at the watch again. It was a quarter to 11. He'd get there at 11. Just the time. Just the right time. All right, are we going or aren't we? Oh, you got ready quickly. Who was that on the phone? Wrong number. Yeah? Did you tell the wrong number you couldn't go out with them tonight? I said it was a wrong number. I heard you. You don't believe me? You're going to get ready to go out or aren't you? I didn't like to have it that way, but that was how it had to be. Violent, angry. Like there'd been an argument. That was how it was going to have to look. He turned his back to me and started lifting our costumes into a little suitcase. I slid the knife into my hand. Cold, cold. Even the wood handle was cold. What would the steel feel like to Bob? I came very close to him. He started to turn. Where's your other And I jumped forward quickly and lost the knife somewhere in his throat. to let the knife slip out of my hand that way. I stood quietly until he stopped driving. Then I reached down and lifted the knife up and wiped the handle off. I had to do that. Then I dropped it again. For a moment, I watched the blood soaking across the rug. I couldn't take my eyes off it. I was fascinated by it. Then, then I snapped awake. I looked around the room. I don't know what for. I'd taken care of everything, but I looked anyway. And then I saw it. The little pocket watch that George had loaned me for the timing because everything had to be timed right, just right. I must have put it down there when I did it. I slipped it into my handbag, put on my hat and coat. It was 10 to 11. That was when he died. 10 minutes to 11. suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you Lynn Barry in Murder by an Expert. Roma Wines presentation tonight in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. 
Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills, is brought to you by Roma. That's R-O-M-A. Roma Wines. America's largest selling wines. So cool to come home to. That's what thousands are saying about that wonderful warm weather thirst quencher, Roma Wine and Soda. Yes, the tastiest treat in town. Cool Roma Wine and Soda is a tempting treat for the family, a delightful refresher to serve friends who drop in these sultry evenings. Just half fill tall glasses with your favorite Roma California wine, such as Roma Burgundy or Sauterne. Pop in a few ice cubes, fill with sparkling water, sweetened to taste. Remember, wine and soda made with Roma is better tasting because Roma wines are selected for your pleasure from the world's greatest reserves of fine wines. And now, Roma Wines bring back to our Hollywood soundstage Lynn Barry as Edith Reed in Murder by an Expert, a play well calculated to keep you in suspense. It was ten minutes to eleven when I slipped out of the apartment. The timing had to be right, just right. That was when I'd killed him. Ten minutes to eleven. I had to get away quickly now. It had to be the back stairs. I went down them as quickly as I could, my heart beating wildly. If anyone saw me, it was the end. I'd die in the chair for what I'd... Excuse me. Perhaps we go down, Susie. There's the elevator. Huh? Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. trembling violently when I hit the street. Nobody had seen me. Nobody had seen me. I lost myself in the Broadway crowds. But all of a sudden, I didn't want lights. I wanted quiet and shadows. I cut across to fog. I passed the apartment house once. There was no one around. I came back and dove down the stairway marked service entrance. I walked through the cellar. Edith. Edith, here, over here. Oh, George. Once you come in. No one. I'm sure no one did. Oh, shh, sure, sure. Come on. Up the stairs here. I thought we might use a service, uh, service elevator, but it's too risky. It's only one flight up. I... Steady now. Current is clear. Come on, come on. <sighs> there. There, it's all over. It's all over, dear. Oh, George, hold me. I'm shivering so. <laughs> Well, it's all over, dear. It's all over now. There were no more things to do now. No more steps to take cautiously, carefully. I was on the top of the ladder now, and I could reach out and pluck the stars right out of the sky. I had to stay up there. I had to stay up there. I wasn't nervous at all, Val. You'd have thought I'd been doing that sort of thing all my life. Oh, you're wonderful, Edith. All I remember is the blood on the carpet. It'll have to be cleaned, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. We will be happy now, won't we, Georgia? Oh, that, uh, that will be the police. Oh, I'd forgotten. I was thinking it was all over. It's uh, just this little more. Do you feel up to it? Oh, I'm all right, dear. I'll be fine. You'll see. I, I won't throw it all away now. 
Open the door. Ms. Reed? Yes? We're from the police department, Ms. Reed. The police department? What? Uh, well, Ms. Reed, your husband's had an accident. Bob? Tell me. Tell me. He's been stabbed, ma'am. He's dead. Bob? What? We'd like to have you come down to headquarters to identify him. And... Bob? Oh, no. I cried then. It was sort of a release. I was tired and lost all of a sudden, and I cried real tears. I knew they would be impressed. I was crying because I was tired, and they would think I was crying because of... because of Bob. And that was good. That was good. I thought we might go downtown in a police car. Instead, they had a cab waiting, and they were considerate, and they drove slowly. Only they drove slowly along Broadway, and I couldn't ask them not to. And I had to close my eyes to keep out the light, to hold down the memories. And that was good, too. They thought the pain I was having was grief over Bob. He's in here, this door here. On the table here. Just a lump under a white sheet. Just a long lump under a white sheet, all that was left of Bob. All that was left of the man who'd been my husband. I'll have to take the sheet off his face now, Miss Reed. I... Steady. This your husband? Yes. Yes, that's Bob. Steady, steady. That'll be all in here, if you'll come with me. Come in here. What? It'll only be for a moment, I'm sure. This is Lieutenant Milgram in charge of the case. This is Miss Reed. Oh, Miss Reed. Now, won't you uh, sit over here? Thank you. I am. Uh, I know you must be under a terrific strain, and I won't keep you any longer than I have to, Mrs. Reed. I'll make things as easy for you as I can. And this is George Lee. How do you do, Mr. Lee? How do you do? We've all been terribly shocked by this. Yes. Who would want to kill Bob? He had no enemies. Was it robbery or... No, I'm afraid it was no robbery. But then what? You went out tonight. Yes. Early? Yes, at about seven. I don't know the exact time. Close to seven. The doorman would know. As we asked him, he said seven. When did you return to your apartment? I... I hadn't been home all night. Where were you? Well, she was at my place. You must know that. Your men picked us up there. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes, she was with me. Oh, on, on business, I assure you. Mr. and Mrs. Reed were two of my dearest friends. I, I'm a dance director. I was working with them on a routine. He had wanted me to say I'd been in another man's apartment. He had wanted me to come right out and say it. Cops thought it was unnatural to be too good. They became suspicious if you were too good. There was a leaky water faucet that kept dripping somewhere in the room. And you stayed in the apartment till now? Yes, of course. I see. What time did you get to Mr. Lee's apartment? About 7.15, I guess. Doorman up there? Yes. Suppose he saw you go in? Yes. Oh, look, Inspector. Lieutenant. I'm sorry, Lieutenant. You're not thinking that, that Edith here could have had anything to do with this horrible thing? I didn't say so, did I? Well, I can assure you that Mrs. Reed did not stir from my apartment all evening. Uh-huh. Well, before you left your own place, Mrs. Reed, you asked a neighbor to go into your apartment at 11 o'clock and wake your husband up, didn't you? Yes. 
Bob was supposed to come with me to Mr. Lee's, but he had a headache and said he would lie down for a while. Try to sleep it off and join us later. I asked Mrs. Ryan to drop in on him at 11 and wake him. Uh-huh. I knew he would sleep it out if I left him alone, and I, I did want to get this routine finished. I see. Mrs. Ryan didn't... didn't stab him. No. No, Mrs. Ryan didn't stab him. She went in at 11, as you told her, and she found Mr. Reed lying on the rug and someone standing over him with a knife in his hand. Who? What? Who? Joe. Joe, ask one of the boys to ring in, uh, you know. Yes, sir. The timing had been perfect. Everything had gone well. I was aware that I wasn't shivering anymore. I was complete master of myself now. I had nothing to be afraid of now. Why, he'd even picked up the knife. Edith! Oh, Edith, thank heaven. Jimmy, what? Edith, will you tell these guys what's what? They, they seem to be in some kind of a fog. They think I killed Bob. I don't know what's happening to me, but... Easy. I, you don't mean he... Yes, he's the fellow Mrs. Ryan found with a knife in his hand, his own hunting knife. Oh, no, no, that's impossible. Bob was his brother. Mm. Jimmy, I know you didn't do it. Well, of course I didn't do it. Tell him about the quarrel. Tell him about the phone call. About the quarrel? The phone call? Yeah, tell him that I was sort of a misfixit for you two when things got out of hand. Tell him how I felt about Bob and you. What quarrel, Jimmy? What phone call? What quarrel? Well, the one you had with, tonight with Bob. I? What's the matter? Tell him about calling me up. Jimmy, what are you talking about? What am I talking about? You, you called me tonight from the apartment and said you and Bob were splitting up and, and... Well, why are you shaking your head? I just don't know what you're talking about, Jimmy. Bob and I didn't quarrel. I didn't call anyone. What but time either. did the call come? Oh, uh, uh, about a quarter to eleven and around that, I, I said I'd be over and try and straighten things out. Mrs. Reed was with you at the time? What? Why, oh, yes, yes, certainly. Did you make any calls? No, none, none. Edith, for heaven's sake! Was anybody with you when you got the call? Uh, no, no, I was in bed. It was your knife, wasn't it, Mac? Oh, yes, but I, I don't know how it got to Bob's apartment. It was there when I got there. Bob was dead when I arrived. You quarreled with your brother on occasion, didn't you? Not quarrel. No, I was the older brother. I had to straighten him out once or twice. Uh, Mrs. Ryan says you often quarreled with him. Oh, they weren't quarrels. Edith, she used to call up when things went wrong, and I'd hustle over and help out. I, I had a lot of influence with Bob. I tell you, I... Oh, Edith, you're kidding with me. Tell him. Tell him how I felt about Bob. Go on, tell him. You... You killed him. You killed him. Edith! I told you I loved him. I told you that the last time you asked me to leave him and go with you. I told you that the last time and the time before that and the time before that. Edith, you... You mean he and your husband quarreled over you? Yes. Edith, you... Well, you don't know what you're saying. You had to kill him. Love you. I hate you. I hate you. What? I'm tired of hating you. She's crazy. Uh, you're lying. Take him away. Edith. Edith. I did it well. I did it superbly. I was sorry for Jimmy, but he didn't count, really. It was him or me. I was after happiness, and nobody was going to stand in my way. Nobody. Nobody. They drove me home in a police car. George went home alone. I suddenly remembered I hadn't a chance to give him back his watch. It was a foolish little thought to have now. 
The night air will make you feel better. Cool, you know. Yes. Your, uh, your husband was a fairly wealthy man, wasn't he? I don't know. Yes, I, I suppose he was. Didn't use much of it, did he? I... Why? Well, he, he wanted to be a great dancer. Show business was in his blood. He said he was going to become as great as Astaire or Bolger or Kelly. And he was going to do it the way they did it, the hard way. He wasn't going to buy success. He insisted we live on our club earnings and ignore the other, the other... I see. Well, you'll be quite a wealthy woman now. I don't want to think about it. Here we are, Chief. Uh, well, good night, Mrs. Reed. Oh, it's almost two o'clock. Good morning, Mrs. Reed. Good morning. Want me to see you in? No, no, I'll be all right. Thank you for everything. Oh, good evening, ma'am. Hello, Joseph. Six, please. I'm, uh, I'm sorry Thank about you, but... Joseph. You're, uh, you're not going to sleep up there, are you? Yes, Joseph. There's nothing to be afraid of. When you love someone the way I love Bob, it... Oh, yeah, I understand, ma'am. You're right. Oh, here, here we are, ma'am. Thank you, Joseph. I stood in the doorway for a moment before I snapped on the light. I... I thought I could smell the death in the air. They do in novels. But there was nothing. Nothing. I snapped the light on and closed the door. The police had cleaned the room nicely. There was only the spot on the rug. Only the blood on the rug. There was nothing here to be afraid of. No voices. No ghosts, nothing. I was tired. I needed sleep badly. I went into the bedroom and locked the door and tried to sleep. Can you be so tired that you can't sleep? Can't even force an eyelid down over your eye. Can you be that tired? In the blackness, in the quiet, they seem to be smothering me. And then I heard it. At first, I didn't know what it was. I wasn't frightened. I just didn't know what it was. George's watch, of course. The little pocket watch he'd loaned me in my handbag on the bedside table. How silly. They sound so loud in an empty room at night. I snapped on the light. It wasn't that I was afraid. There was nothing to be afraid of. Not really. But suddenly, I was just a lonely little girl. I... I didn't want quiet now. I wanted to hear voices, happy sounds, happy noises. I wanted, I wanted George. I needed to be with him. I needed terribly to be with him now. Uh, yes? George. Oh, Edith, what's the matter? <laughs> I forgot to give you back your watch. Oh, Edith, don't. Silly, at a time like I this... I know it. It isn't really that. Well, what is it? I've got to see you. I'm coming over. No, no, no. Wait, wait. At this hour, it's silly. It's dangerous. I can't help it, darling. I've got to see you. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Not here. There's a... There's a little place on 7th Avenue, an all-night lunch place near 40th. Dillard's, I think it is. Right away. 
All right. All right. The place looked empty when I got there, only a fat little man at the counter slicing some kind of meat. And then I saw George at the back at one of the few tables in the place. I ran back, ran back. Edith, no, 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 no. It's not smart. I just want you to hold me. Hold me for a moment. I need you so much. Edith, I... please, the waiter, the waiter. Oh. Stop trembling. You're trembling. Yeah? Let it be, folks. Uh, two coffees, please. Do you want anything else, Edith? Just you. Huh? I bought him tonight. I'll get it. Uh, two coffees. Just two coffees, please. Sure. sure. You're overwrought. Why? Because I said I bought you. Why? When will we get married, dear? Soon, soon. You should be home sleeping. I suppose we will have to wait a little while for appearances' sake, but set a date, dear. Now, go ahead. Please, the waiter, the waiter. Two coffees. Next month, perhaps, in June. Edith, please, let's discuss this whole thing tomorrow in the sunlight, when, when things are normal. In July, then. Sometime in July. I... Uh... What's the matter, George? I... When, then? I can wait, darling. I've waited this long. Let's get out of here. No. No, George. I'm not going to move until you answer me, George. When are you going to marry me? Never. I'm not going to marry you. You're joking. Don't joke with me, George. I'm not going to marry with you. Now, I don't want to tell you this now, but maybe it's better. Maybe the quicker we get things straight, the better. Get things straight? Please, please listen to me. Edith. You're a rich woman now. You've got a lot of money out of tonight. You got rid of him at a nice profit. So why not look at it as a good business deal and nothing else? I don't understand. A good business deal for both of us. We both took chances. George, I don't... I want half of what you inherit, the insurance and such, for my silence and my lies and, and my general help. I'm not in love with you, Edith. I, I never was. I, I, I needed the money. There's someone else? Yes. There always was, even while... Yes, yes. And you want to blackmail half of my money to finance you and someone else. A business deal. The whole thing was just a business deal. Please. That's very funny. Bob wouldn't give me a divorce, and even if he had, I'd have gotten no money. And you and I would have needed money to live on. So I killed him. All that terror and all that blood for a business deal. Business deal. It's very funny. <laughs> it's really very funny. Are you I got out of there somehow and back to the apartment. Oh, I knew what I was going to do. I knew exactly what I was going to do. The little watch out of my handbag, the little pocket watch that George had loaned me so that everything would go right, just right. The little watch with his initials on it and the inscription from his father. I held it in my hand a moment, listening. Then I set the hands back to ten minutes of eleven, the exact time, the time he died, the time I killed him. And I put the little watch down on the floor and ground it under my foot. I picked it up and listened. It was stopped. Broken and stopped. Stopped at ten minutes to eleven. 
Lieutenant Milgram, please. Lieutenant, this is Edith Reed. I lied to you, Lieutenant. George did it. We planned it together. Why am I telling you? Guilty conscience, I suppose. Oh, you can prove it all right. I found his watch under a corner of the carpet. It was broken during the struggle. Yes, it had stopped. At ten minutes to eleven. Yes, that was the time. Ten minutes to eleven. It's terrible to love someone as much as that. I wonder if the other one loved him that much. But he'll never know now. And I... I suppose he'll never forgive me. George will never forgive me. Suspense! Murder by an Expert, starring Lynn Berry. Presented by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A, Roma California Wines. Those better-tasting wines from the world's greatest reserves of fine wines. Better taste is the reason Roma Wine and Soda is one of America's favorite summer refreshers. In Roma, you enjoy better taste that starts with the natural juices of California's choicest grapes. Then, with ancient skills and unmatched wine-making resources, Roma guides this grape treasure unhurriedly to peak taste perfection. These Roma wines are placed with mellow Roma wines of years before. And from these, the world's greatest wine reserves, Roma later selects for your pleasure. Try a refreshing Roma wine and soda made with robust Roma California Burgundy or delicate Roma Sauterne. After a sweltering day, it's so cool to come home to. And so much more delicious when made with better-tasting Roma wine. America's largest selling wine. Lynn Barry may soon be seen in the Eagle Lion production, Man from Texas. Tonight's suspense play was by John Shaw. Next Thursday, same time, you will hear Jerome Cowan as star of Suspense. Produced and directed by William Spear for the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California. Stay tuned for the thrilling adventures of the FBI in Peace and War, following immediately over most of these stations. And now, a tale well calculated to keep you in... In a moment, Act One of The Next Murder, starring Joseph Julian and Lawson Zerby, and written especially for Suspense by Joseph Cochran. This first portion of Suspense is brought to you by the makers of Alpine cigarettes. What's it like to smoke an Alpine? Well, 
It's like a sky full of clouds racing along with the wind. That's what it's like to smoke an alpine. Alpine has a freshness about it like morning dew. A light, lively, downright exuberant kind of taste. If this sounds good to you, try Alpine Filter Cigarettes. Mind if I sit down? No, no, sit down. At the uh, late edition you're reading? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that was a terrible thing, that murder over in Springdale. Oh, awful. I just don't understand how anybody could do a thing like that. No, nobody does. Not even the one who did it. Well, there's got to be a reason. Or none. One pork chop with mush. The poor dead girl wasn't pretty. She had no men friends. She was too poor for robbery. Uh, would you like some dessert? Yeah, um, coconut custard pie, beautiful, and a uh, fresh cup of coffee. And you, sir? Uh, no, I'm finished. Thanks. Say, are you a detective? <laughs> Hardly. How come you're so interested in the murder? Oh, murder's a hobby of mine. Uh, look around at coconut custard. I brought coconut cream. Coconut cream, okay? Yeah, that's fine. Hey, look, I wasn't trying to be fresh just now when I called you beautiful. Oh. I don't know your name, so I just... Called you beautiful. <laughs> That's all right. It's a lot better. And hey, you. Hey, you, waitress. Wow. Yes, sir. Hey, you're not interested in her, are you? I like to kid him along. But she's not pretty. Now, when they're pretty, everybody gives them the rush. Homely girl appreciates a little attention. Ah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I see. <laughs> well, I, I'm shoving off. Thanks for letting me share your counter space. Not at all. Night. Night. Gee, tell your friend thanks for the nice tip. He's not my friend. I don't even know him. He just sat here with me. Uh, Say, I know it's short notice, but uh, would you like to go to a movie with me when you're through here? Oh, I couldn't, but thanks. Some other night? Oh, I'll think about it. Hey, thanks. Thanks a lot. Good night, beautiful. Right. You think about that movie real hard. Outside, the rain that had been coming down hard when I entered the diner was now a light drizzle. He was standing there under the awning. I felt I had to say something. Hi. Rain's about stopped, huh? Yeah. You, uh... Particularly interested in the weather? Huh? Oh, no, no, no. Not particularly. Just, just something that I hate. Something to say, you mean? Huh? Yeah. Uh, to cover up what's uh, really on your mind? What's on your mind? Well, I was wondering. Haven't we met before? No. I don't think so. And yet, you know, I... I get the feeling... A feeling maybe there's some sort of a bond between us? Yeah. Uh, yeah, something like that. You know, in there, when I when I looked up and I saw you staring at I'm me... I'm sorry, I, I'm not usually rude, but... Now you understand why? No, no, I don't. You know, I, I don't know what to make of it. It's funny. 
Maybe we met before somewhere. Maybe we, we brushed against each other in some crowd. Or... Have you been in a crowd recently? Uh, let's see. I was in one the other day over at Springdale. Yeah, yeah, Springdale. That's where that unfortunate girl was strangled. Yeah. You didn't happen to be in Springdale recently. Yeah, this is strange. When you saw me looking at you, I was thinking of Springdale. That's what I was thinking at, the, at that exact moment. Yeah. How do you account for that? I look up, I see a man looking at me, and we're both thinking of the same thing. I uh, wasn't thinking only of the Springdale murder. I don't follow you. What? I, I was thinking of the next murder, too. The next murder. I looked at the guy hard. I saw he was serious. I wanted to get away from him as fast as I could. And yet, I wanted to stay. I wanted to know what was on his mind. At the same time, I didn't want to know. I started away, and then I turned back. You, a stranger in town? I blew in two days ago. How about you? Oh, I got in this afternoon. Where are you stopping? Don't have a room yet. Are you broke? <laughs> Not broke. I'm badly bent. Now listen, I got an idea. I got a good-sized room. I can sneak you in without the clerk knowing it. How do you manage it? There's a side door. I'll slip the bolt. And you can come up the back stairs. You're sure it won't inconvenience you? Well, if it'll make you feel any better, you can pay half the rent. All right, then I accept. Yeah, we can talk there. Yeah. Talk. We have a lot in common. You and I. I gave him the room number. And I went in first. I unlocked the door... And then went up to my room and waited. He was up in less than five minutes. You bolted the side door? Yeah, yeah. Good. Now remember to talk low. I don't want the clerk to know you're here. Uh, well, we don't even know each other's name. <laughs> Cotter. John Cotter. Fred Spahn. Uh -huh. Cotter and Spahn. Or Smith and Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sharp, I see that. Oh, you're not so slow yourself. <laughs> You know, I, I still can't get over how we met. It, it, it's one in a thousand coincidences. No, no, Spong. No coincidence. We were bound to meet. We have similar interests. Like murder. You seem to know a lot about murder. I've read everything I could get my hands on. What interests you about murder? The motive. Why? Why does one person kill another? Why? Money, uh, rage. Jealousy. Ah, the obvious doesn't interest me. I'm talking about the hidden motive. Half the people who commit murder can't give the motive. You're more interested in the murderer than the victim? Definitely. Uh, look, let, let's get off this. Oh, spiritually, huh? you're dead. And the foul, withering rot of murder has entered your mind, devouring your will to live. Well, look, you take that girl over at Springdale. Let's take the girl in Seattle. Or the one in Boston, similar to the... Seattle? Seattle? There was, there was one in Seattle? Yeah, it was in the papers. 
Two weeks after the Boston murder, there was one in Buffalo. Then a month later, in Pittsburgh. Then the last, in Springdale. Right, meaning what? One murder suggests another, especially when there's so much alive. And you think there's going to be another murder? The killer's still at large, Well, maybe Fred. there was more than one killer. My point, exactly. Oh, crazy. The girl at Springdale was strangled with a man's necktie. <laughs> Now go up to it and let me go to sleep. Yeah. As long as we always come back to the same thing. Why? Why does he do it? You always come back to it. A man can't help what he does. That's not a flattering admission. You know, sometimes your talk is too far out for me. Well, what you're saying is you have no will of your own. You can't help what you do. I got lots of willpower. I make my own world. Only all I want to be. No, no, thank you, no. Well, how about you, good looking? No, nothing for me. Hey, what's your name? Amy. Uh, why? Um, I'm going to take you to the movies tonight. Uh-huh. Uh, I ought to know your name. What time are you through here? Well, I'm through at nine, but, uh... We can make the second show, if you're interested. Well, yeah, I'd like to. I, I could go for a movie after slinging hash in this beanery. I'll meet but, you at the uh... fountain in the square. Yeah, well, I ain't said I'm gonna go. You ain't said you wouldn't. Cutter and I left the diner and went back to the room. It was drizzling again. He was getting on my nerves. I made up my mind to tell him he got a blow in the morning. We didn't talk much. He took out a tablet and started to write. I sat there thinking of Amy. Every now and then taking a look at my watch. He must have been a mind reader. All of a sudden he put down his pen and he said to me, Spong, you going to keep your appointment with that waitress? What? With Amy? Why, sure. Why not? Uh, What's the matter? Always starts out the same way. You feel sorry for these homely girls. No friends, not too bright, beaten. You feel more sorry for them than for yourself. And it ends up the same way. Oh, you, you know so much. You ought to write a book. I have. All but the last chapter. Uh, that's what you're working on? Yeah. Have been for ten years. About murder? Every last word. I'd like to read it. Perhaps you can, when it's finished. Well, if it takes you ten years to write one chapter, I don't... Well, the last chapter will be finished soon, I think. Right now, I can forecast that out of the 100 cases I have on file, 90 will get at it in the next five years, provided, of course, they are not caught before. How are you going to arrest the man you think will commit a crime five years from now? My friend, you put your finger on it. On what? Look. A man can't be arrested until he commits a crime. Now, my tables predict a crime, but they are powerless to stop a single homicide. Tell me, Carter, did your charts tell you that there would be a murder in Springdale? Well, well, to be truthful... No, they, they didn't. Why not? Because that one... I committed myself. 
sat there and looked at it. He looked sane enough. By that, I mean, he put his picture alongside half a dozen others somewhere. There was nothing you'd pick him out for. But I definitely was going to blow the joint. The rent was coming due. I'd move out when he was asleep and let him hold the bag. At first, I had to meet Amy. I went to the square. She wasn't in sight. I waited. Hey! Oh, I bet you thought I'd stood you up. I got a customer. Just before closing, boy, I thought he'd never finish. Uh, well, look, Amy, uh, uh-huh. look, we, we just met. Uh, I'm moving on tomorrow. Uh-huh. Uh, instead of the movie, maybe maybe we could walk along that lake in the park and get acquainted. Huh? I don't know if I should. I mean, oh, I just met on. you. Movies make believe. You and me, we're real people. I like <laughs> someone to talk to. I bet you do, too. Yeah, I sure do. You know, I'm really just dying to talk to someone. You just don't know what it's like sitting in that one little room all by myself. Yeah. Oh, sure, let's walk. I, I guess you're just like me, huh? Anyway, I think I know you, Amy. I I think I understand you. Uh, you're leaving town tomorrow, huh? Yeah. That's yeah, always the way. Yeah, and maybe... Maybe you're going someplace yourself, Amy. Only you don't know it yet. Had no one permitted in the park after 9.30 p.m. The place was deserted. Amy and I walked about halfway around the lake. It stopped raining, but it was still cloudy, with the moon breaking through every now and then. I was getting kind of excited. My collar began tightening. Hey, what is it? Collar is choking me. Oh, I hear your necktie's too tight. <laughs> Let me loosen it. Better? Hey, why don't you take it off? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'll carry it. <laughs> One day I'd look at a man's thigh. A man's thigh around my neck. What's the matter, Amy? I- I'm tired and cold. I, I got to get up early in the morning. I- I- I'm going. You've been reading the papers, haven't you? No, not me. I, I never read papers. They're filled with terrible things about... People being killed. Uh, About people getting killed with a necktie. I... I must have blacked out. When I came out of it, I was stretched out under a tree. I probably ran into it and knocked myself out. I got up. My shirt was open at the collar and my tie was gone. I started to look for it. But something kept buzzing at the back of my head, telling me to get out of the park. I hurried to the hotel. When I left the hotel, I went down the back stairs, and I left the door unbolted so I was able to get to my room without the clerk seeing me. Then I had to get into my room without anyone hearing me. Cutter was asleep, his face to the wall. I could hear the guy next door snoring. I gathered my things, and I stuffed them into the suitcase. I went to the sink to get my toothbrush and shaving gear. My razor was gone. I looked around, and I saw something glint on the floor. I reached down to pick it up. It was my razor, and my fingers got all wet and sticky. I jumped back up, and I stumbled over a chair. Blood, cold and sticky. What's it doing on my razor? Hey, what's going on in here? I warned you guys. Where's the light switch? I came to this dump to get some sleep. If you two guys... Are... Hey. What's the... Oh. What's the matter? What What are you doing with that razor? 
I just came in. I, I picked it up. There's blood on your hand. Hey, you, you, you in the bed. Wake up. Wake up. I want to know what's going on in here. I... What's the, what's the matter with him? Tell you, I, I just came in. Yeah, well, it looks to me as if you were just getting ready to leave. Get out of my way. Charlie! Charlie! Oh, no, you don't. You stay right where you are. Charlie! Come on over here. Charlie, get out here. No, first call the police. So you never saw this guy, Carter, before. You meet him in the square, you get to talking to him, then you sneak him into your room. Why? He was broke. He, he didn't have a place to sleep. You felt sorry for him? Yeah, I guess I did. So sorry you cut his throat? I didn't do it. That's your suitcase. It's packed, isn't it? Yes. You going someplace? I just wanted to get away from him. Why? Because he's nuts. All he did was talk about people who, who didn't want to live, about, about murder. He wrote a whole book about it. All about guys who are going to kill someone someday. Or some night? Like tonight around 10 o'clock? Tell me where you were tonight between 9.30 and 10.30. I was walking in the park. I was walking with... The park, huh? Then what? I walked... I walked the lab. I was thinking about this guy. I, I decided to slip out of the hotel without him. Knowing it, and then leave town, and so I, I came back to the hotel to pack. Mm-hmm. Anyone see you come in? I'm not sure. What do you mean you're not sure? You had to come through the lobby? Wasn't the clerk there? That's what I mean. Sure he was there. He was at the desk, but maybe he was busy, and he didn't, he didn't see me. Go on. Well, I came in. God, it was dead. I didn't kill him. I no sooner got in when this fellow from the next door comes running in. I must have woken them up when I when I came into the room. I didn't hear you go out, and I didn't hear you come in. That crash woke me up out of a sound sleep, the first I've had since you guys come here. I came in and saw you holding the razor, and there was blood on your fingers. you got to believe me. The razor was on the floor. I picked it up, and I got the blood from it. I had no reason to kill her. All right, all right, let's go back to this walk in the park. Can you prove you were there? Well, I, I don't know. Some people saw me. What, sure. what? You were with someone? Uh, no. No, I was alone. That's not what you started to say a minute ago before you changed your mind. Who were you with? Nobody. Oh, look, Spong. You're I, in a I'm... jam. Right now, you're the most likely suspect for the murder of Carter if you can prove you were in the park at the time you're in the clear. Were you with a girl? Come on, speak up. We're broad-minded. It's no crime to take a girl into the park, but it is to cut a throat. I didn't kill him. I could believe that if you weren't stalling about who was with you in the park. Still not talking. Okay. We'll just book you for the murder of Carter, then maybe whoever you were with will come forward. Look, suppose I was with someone... Who didn't want to come forward? Uh-huh. Were you with a married woman who would get in a jam with her husband? I didn't say that. Well, all I can say is you should be more careful who you take for a walk in the park. Come on. I'm booking you for the murder of Carter. You're making a mistake. I'll apologize later. The press will want to see you, so if you'd like to put on a necktie. That's all right with me. 
police were very interested in Carter's book. They took every scrap of paper they could find. They asked me a lot of questions about it. I didn't mind talking about Carter and his crazy ideas. I wanted them to know why I was running away from him. They kept questioning me until three in the morning. And then they let me sleep. And they woke me up again. Spong. I apologize. Uh, what for? You didn't kill Carter. That's what I've been trying to tell you. Mm-hmm. We doped it out from that book. He was his own case study, 100. He killed that girl at Springdale, and he cut his own throat. He was crazy. Uh-huh. What we're interested in now is case 99. Huh? Come on. We're going for a walk. Walk? Walk where? In the park. I don't... No, I won't go. We want you to retrace every step you took no, last night. Please don't make me go. All right, all right. All right, Spong. You've told me what I wanted to know. <laughs> you see, we found Amy. This is uh, your necktie, isn't it? Yeah. Why did you kill her? I don't know. No. I liked her. I was sorry for her. I didn't plan to kill her. Something I just did. Mm-hmm. Just like Carter wrote it. Case 99 will not be able to give any explanation for his action. Suspense. You've been listening to The Next Murder, starring Joseph Julian and Lawson Zerby, and written especially for Suspense by Joseph Cochran. So long. Have a nice trip. Don't forget your phone. Planning your vacation or a weekend trip? Well, long distance can be a big help. You decide where you want to go, then just pick up your phone and call ahead for reservations. Make sure of a good place to stay. And while you're away, it's so easy to keep in touch with home by telephone. Well, have a good trip, and don't forget the phone. Directed by Fred Hendrickson. Music supervision by Ethel Huber. Heard in tonight's story were Elizabeth Lawrence, William Redfield, and Reynold Osborne. Sound patterns by Walter Otto. This is Stuart Metz speaking. Listen again next week when we return with Run Faster, written by Lois Landauer. Another tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Listen to Worldwide Sports with Chris Schenkel Monday through Fridays on the CBS Radio Network.